and also plant 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River when the waters flow over, you know that that will be there as well. So that brings us to our text this morning. If you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever you're using, uh, turn to Joshua chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. Uh, This is the word of God for the people of God at Hope Covenant Church. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? You can tell them, They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. That question, what do these stones mean? So important. In fact, one of the key words in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with uh, the Old Testament writing, one of the key words there that we seldom, you know, kind of forget about is the word remember. It's constant. Remember what God has done. And that's going to lead you in your faith for the future. Remember how I acted in the past. And he was telling the children of Israel, remember how I led you out of Egypt. Do you remember the plagues? Do you remember the the Passover? Do you remember walking out with all of these things that you garnered from from the Egyptians and you're coming to the... Remember how I parted the Red Sea? Remember when you were thirsty and you wanted water? I gave you water from a rock. Remember when you were hungry? I gave you manna from the sky. Remember when you're tired of manna? I gave you quail to eat. Remember the Ten Commandments that I gave to you twice because you're kind of hard-headed, right? Remember, remember, remember all of these things. And then imagine years later, families walking along the shore of the Jordan River, and they come to this stack of 12 stones, this memorial, this cairn, this Ebenezer, right? And the children say, Mom, Dad, what do these stones mean? And then Mom or Dad relates, well, this is what God did in the past. Let me tell you about the parting of the Red Sea, delivering, being delivered from Egypt. Let me tell you about all of those things. So that really brings us to the question I want us to consider this morning. What do these stones mean? And for us, what do these stones mean for you and for me? What are our stones of remembrance. Now, uh, back in October, when we were talking about doing this message together, we talked about getting 12 big stones and bringing them up here, but that sounded like way too much work, so we didn't do that. So you can imagine those 12 stones up here, right? What are our stones of remembrance? What, is the, what are the amazing things that God has done to bring us to this celebration today? Now remember, we're going to celebrate God, the past because we're going to remember, but we're also looking for the future, what God is going to do in the future. So let me share with you what I believe are a few stones of remembrance. The first one is hospitality. Now, that's always been a a hallmark of Hope Covenant Church. Even before Sherry and I came, the church was very hospitable, very open, welcoming to new people. Now, uh, last Sunday, I had the privilege to preach at Ryan Lunsford's church uh, at Genesis, and um, it, w- it was great being there. And I pre- he gave me the text to preach on Acts 2, uh, 42 to 47. That's the passage where, uh, you know, uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so I went through those things that this was the early churches devoted to. But what I was a key in that passage was the word devoted. The word devoted means to persistently 
pursue. When you're devoted to something, you persistently pursue that thing. And what the text tells us today is that we are to persistently pursue hospitality. Now, let me read for you part of that Acts 2 passage. Uh, They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So the text really talks about two things, about the Lord's Supper, how that is our meal that we share together as the body of Christ, but it also talks about just sharing a meal together, right? We did that last Thursday. We have a crescendo as a new senior ministry. I never thought I would be you know, doing a senior ministry, but, you know, that's what you do, you know, when you're 73. And so, uh, but, you know, Sherry and Stacy did all the heavy work. Bruce and I were just mules. But we centered everything around eating, right? Uh, this church is known for its prodigious eating. I mean, you very, that's one of your spiritual gifts is eating. And every time we get together, today we're going to do that out there. We're going to share a meal together. And there's something about sharing a meal together that's part of sharing your life. In the ancient uh, Israel, uh, when they would share, break bread and they would give it to you, they were giving you a part of your, their life, right? Because they grew the wheat, they, they tended to it, they broke it up, they made it into bread. They gave part of their life to you. And sharing in a meal together means that we're sharing our lives together. Life on life, living together. Hospitality really matters. So in the early days, we used to say that Okay, when we were trying to grow the church, okay, the next new person that walks through the church is the most important person in the church. We tried to take down all the barriers that say, a lot of churches, they don't have the sign that says keep out, but they have things that say keep out, right? And we tried to remove all of those barriers and make sure that everyone felt like they mattered, that they were important. I used to tell the elders, okay, don't hang out with your friends. You can see your friends during the week. What I want you to do is go and identify new people, people you don't know, go up to them and meet them and make them feel welcome. A church of hospitality, a church that brings great joy and generosity when we share meals together. A few weeks ago, Heidi preached, and she preached about this idea of an open door, having an open door in the church and an open door in your homes. I don't know that there's a more godly thing you can do than to invite somebody over to your house for a meal to share a meal, to share the Lord with each other. I remember we used to have newcomers pizzas. Recently, Doug and Heidi had people over to their house for a dinner, new people, always trying to find ways to welcome and to be hospitable. Many of you will remember that every Christmas Eve, we had a, a very unique, different service, but the theme was always the same, right? Welcome home. Welcome home to your family. Welcome home to the church. And welcome home to Jesus. Persistently pursue hospitality. That's the first stone of remembrance. The second one is this, generosity. Uh, When I first uh, came to Chandler to uh, be interviewed by the church, uh, Gordon Lynch drove me around and he drove me by this piece of property, uh, this 4.7 acres that we sit on. And uh, there were tumbleweeds and weeds everywhere. He said, and, and they had a sign there that said, future site of Hope Covenant Church. And I, and I thought to myself, are you kidding me? I mean, your church has like 50 people in it, and uh, you, you're going to plant a church here? I didn't say that out loud, but I thought that. But again, what were my options? Kansas? No. Okay, I'm in. I'm, in. I'm all in. Okay, let's go. And so he, and we drove all, and I, I couldn't believe That small church, along with the help of the conference, the Pacific Southwest Conference, purchased this property, 
4.7. You know what this property's worth now? I mean, this is before the Chandler Mall was in. This is before the price quarter was a thing. This was, they, I think they purchased this in 1996. And what generosity. On the backs of those people, we sit today. On the backs of those people, the, the Heimkes and the Kiesels and the Hills and the Pollards, all of these people were generous in purchasing this property. We come here and we worship here on their backs and they were so generous and you continue to be so generous. So about 07, 08, uh, we decided to have kind of a boost to get rid of our mortgage. We call it Momentum for Ministry. Yeah, what a great time to do it, 2007 or 8, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, God was faithful. And there's one guy, I remember, he's still in the church today. One guy came up to me, he said, you know what we're doing? We were gonna buy a, a new car, uh, a new car back then, $400 a month for three years. He said, that's our pledge to Momentum for Ministry. Somebody did without a car so that you can enjoy this beautiful facility today. Generosity, giving of our hearts, giving of our money, giving of our talents, giving of our time, it really matters. So as you know, there, there's this wonderful uh, story in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians. Paul was describing what actually happened. This wasn't a story, this is what actually was happening. So the church in Jerusalem was mostly Jewish converts to Christianity. Small and uh, very poor because most of them had been uh, boycotted from their jobs, okay? They converted to Christianity, okay, you're out, right? So here's this group of Christ believers in Jerusalem, mostly Jewish Christians. And then in Macedonia, there were several Greek churches. And those Greek churches were also poor, and they were made up of Greek Christians, right? Greek Christ followers. And Paul had told these Greek churches, listen, uh, that church in Jerusalem is really struggling. Uh, I, we don't even know how they're going to survive. And the churches in Macedonia were very, very poor themselves. But listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. These people begged for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. When was the last time you begged for the privilege of giving to the church? When, out of, and it says out of their poverty, they begged for the privilege. See, every time... I write a check for my tithe. I think I'm helping build the kingdom of God. Whether it's Hope Covenant Church or another church that you're a part of, our generosity is helping build the kingdom of God. Passionately, persistently pursue generosity. And then intimacy is our next stone of remembrance. I think you all know by now, Doug's preached on this, and this was one of my mantras when I was here, is that this is not about religion. This is about a relationship. If you're looking for an easy fix, if you're looking for a box to be in, if you're looking for a check mark, if you're looking for a barcode that says, okay, I'm a believer now, I'm going to go to heaven, uh, that's not what this church is about. It's about passionate, intimate relationship with Jesus. A few months ago, I preached here, and the title of my message was The Furious Love of God. It's a phrase from Frederick Buechner, uh, a uh, theologian. And there's something about this passionate intimacy that Jesus wants. He does not want a kiss on the cheek or a walk in the park. He wants all of you. The best metaphor that's used to show this is the metaphor of marriage, Okay? The bride and the bridegroom. We are his bride. He is our bridegroom. That connotes 
beauty and passion and intimacy, and I'm in it for the long haul. That's what we're talking about. Intimacy is what really, really matters. It's not a contract. The Bible says that God in Jeremiah, that God is jealous for you. He wants all of you. So um, we had, uh, I I think you still have it here, but we had a men's discipleship class that met every Friday at six o'clock. And we met over here in in this room. And over the years, people came and went, but we had a really good group of guys. And, and one guy knew a guy that just got out of prison that met Jesus in prison. His name was David, the guy out of prison. And don't try and think of who it is, okay? You don't, he, he's moved from here now. But uh, David came to our men's group. And, um, and so here he is just out of prison. He met Jesus in prison. This guy was so full of the spirit. He was so alive and dynamic and he couldn't believe what Jesus had done for him and he was excited and everything. And the rest of us were going, whoa, I forgot what that kind of passion was all about. When this guy has really got it. The following Sunday, we were having a baptism and we baptized people in both services. In the second service, we baptized about eight people. And when we were done, I said, if there's anyone else in the congregation that feels like they would like to be baptized, you want to share your testimony, come up. And David came running up and just jumped into the baptismal. Water splashed all over me. It was, and he was in there with his wallet and his phone, his medal on his body, the tats, everything. He was in there. He was all in. By the way, this is just kind of an addition. Some of you need to have your wallets baptized. And all of you need to have your phones baptized. All of you, okay? But anyway, this was so amazing, this passion. Don't you think, don't sometimes we forget, right? We forget what it was like when we were first in love with Jesus. That kind of, rel- Sherry and I have been married for 51 and a half years. I, yeah, you bet. You applaud her. She's in the kitchen. <laughs> I love her more today than I've ever loved her in my life. That's what God wants in your relationship with him. It's not just, it was great when I was a kid. It was great when I was young. But now, no, every day is that intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus. Passionately pursue persistently that kind of intimacy with God. By the way, we're starting to get all these um, political commercials. Don't those make you go, ugh, not again, right? But we're starting to get all those, you know, the Senate and all that. You know. Let me remind you again. I reminded you of this about 10 years ago uh, when they were fighting over who was going to be president. Save your greatest passion for Jesus. Leave the politics aside, okay? Leave it outside, right? Save your greatest passion for Jesus. Okay, next, stone of remembrance, diversity. So when we first started, um, the conference helped us hire uh, Brad Kindle. Uh, uh, he was... He lived here in town. He wasn't working at the time. He was a wonderful worship leader. We couldn't afford him, but the conference, I, I remember telling the conference, listen, our church can't even afford me, and so, but we need this guy to help our church grow. And they said, okay, we'll give you 25K for one year, and you use that, put, add some more to it, and hire him. And we did. To this day, I still believe, right, Brian, that he was one of the keys to our growth in those early days, uh, Brad Kindle. Well, he and I would meet together, and in those days, everything was about a vision statement, right? This was in the early 2000s. Everything was about a mission statement, a vision statement. Finally, we came up with something so unique and so incredible, every thought we were smart. Here's what we came up, came up with. Let's be a church that looks like Jesus. Let's be a church that looks like Jesus. Let's be a church that talks like Jesus, that acts like Jesus, that thinks like Jesus. Let's be a church that looks like Jesus. And one of those things that were really important to both of us in that time 
was diversity. Being a church like, that looked like the kingdom of God, right? No color boundaries, no racial boundaries, none of these things, but a church. I remember when Will and Yvonne came to our church for the first time. Oh, thank God, we finally have some African-American people in our church, you know, and, 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 and God has blessed us over the years with Asians and Hispanics and African-Americans and, and Anglos. See, we're all one together. See, what, what really matters to God, listen to this. This is in Revelation at the end of times. Listen to what John's vision said in Revelation. After, I, after this, I saw a vast crowd. So imagine a vast crowd of people. Too great to count. From every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Revelation 7, 9. That's what the kingdom of God is going to look like. That's what Hope Covenant Church wants to look like. Every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, we are all one in Christ Jesus. The pursuit, passionate, persistent pursuit of diversity. Now, in, in the New Testament, uh, Paul, in Ephesians 1 and 2, used a word over and over again, mystery. Okay, mystery. Okay, what are you talking about, Paul? So you read what he's talking about, and basically he said, that mystery, there's a mystery of two things. When Jesus came, two things really happened. The first is this, and this is a mystery to the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament uh, priests, all the guys in the Old Testament, the gals in the Old Testament. This is a mystery to them. And here's what the mystery was. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Before it was, God, where are you? Are you up there? Can you bring me the Ten Commandments? Can you bring us uh, some manna? Can you bring us some quail? God, we need you. We need your help. Now, after Jesus, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. You don't have to look up to God. You have to look right in here. That was the first mystery. That's what changed everything. That's what changed the world, right? God dwelling in man, the incarnation. That's when it started. But here's the second mystery. The second mystery was this. Paul said there's a dividing wall of hostility. And that dividing wall of hostility is between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus said, when I came, that wall is destroyed. That wall is destroyed. There is no longer this racial tension. You are to be one in Christ Jesus. No male or female, nor slave or free, no Gentile or Jew. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what the church needs to look like. We've had a lot of, especially in the last couple of years, a lot of pain around racism and racial stuff going on. The church needs to be the leader and showing the world what love looks like, right? Yeah, are we on board with that? Let's, let's actually live that out. So we want to be a church that is diverse, a passionate pursuit of diversity. And then here's the next stone of remembrance, uh, transparency. Uh, Doug, a few weeks ago, was preach he preached four weeks on the prodigal son. And uh, one of those weeks especially hit hard on this idea of uh, transparency. Uh, when, I, when I first uh, came to Hope, now remember, I'd been out of the ministry for three years because of my addiction. And I remember promising the Lord, I said, Lord, I will no longer uh, wear a mask. I wore a mask and, and, and uh, literally um, lied to my church for two and a half years. I said, I, I will never wear a mask again. By the way, the word mask in the New Testament comes from the Greek word upokrati. What does that sound like? <laughs> Hypocrite, right? Uh, you take off the mask. This is who I am. And I remember when I first came to Hope, some of the people were, I remember Donna Tafe saying, oh, you shouldn't tell your story like that. 
I said, why not? She said, everybody will think you're a creep. Well, I kind of am, but I'm a redeemed creep, and I'm a redeemed guy. And she was so great. You know, she, but some people are very uncomfortable with that kind of transparency. But you know what I thought? Lord, this is what you've called me to. And in the first years of the ministry of this church, you can't believe how many broken people came to this church. From every, we had a celebration, a celebrate recovery ministry. Uh, a lot of broken people came to this church because do you know why? They felt they were safe. If the pastor's broken, I guess we can be broken too and be real and be safe. God wants us to be transparent. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, having put away falsehood, the word falsehood is uh, translated upokritai, put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Fearfully, wondrously transparent. Pursue persistently transparency. The next stone of remembrance is uh, very close to my heart. And uh, I couldn't figure out a word that sounded like the rest, so I just said this. Children and youth. This church's DNA is around children and youth. 80% of people that become Christ followers do so before the age of 18. What does that tell you we should focus on in our church? Where should we put our energy? Where should we put our staff? Where should we put our lifeline? Now, over the years, we've had some wonderful uh, children's uh, directors, uh, Sharon and Patty and Pastor Barb and others that have helped. Um, uh, Brittany's doing a great job with her team now with our children. They're doing it right now, in fact, right over here, right? <laughs> children matter, and so many children have come to Jesus through the ministry of this church. It's been remarkable. That has to be a priority for us in the future. And youth. Youth. In the first service, uh, the teenagers sit over here. Uh, Brian, remember in, sec uh, in the service, they used to sit over here when, when, when you were here. Uh, but the kid, the teenagers were over here. And Pastor Will's doing an amazing job with these kids. Uh, by the way, they're going to camp next week. Make sure you help pay for that, right? And so uh, the, the youth ministry here is really vital, especially for a church this size. It's really doing well. Uh, but I, I want you to know something. Um, I, I was your pastor for 15 years. 13 of those years, my youth pastor was Brian Pollard. Brian's right up here. Um, yeah. Uh, we had uh, 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 Brian and Christine hosted a uh, get-together for teenagers, or for the ones in the youth group, kind of a reunion back in October when we are going to do it here. And uh, 30 kids came. Now they're not kids anymore. They're young adults. Many of them married, have babies, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I stood back there. I was talking to Mark Sullivan. I stood back there. I looked at this. I said, this is an exact replica of what God wants the kingdom to look like. And Brian Pollard was responsible and faithful to making that happen. Scores of teenagers have come to Christ over the years because of the ministry of this church, the youth ministry of this church. Scores of teenagers now, Christ followers, and doing other P things in other places in other churches. This really matters. In Luke 15, uh, Jesus said, used three parables. He said, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. And, and again, Doug preached on this, but here's the bottom line. Lost people, lost children, lost teenagers really matter to God. They really matter to God. Passionately, persistently pursue their children and youth. And then the last sort of remembrance is 
a deep desire to reach one more for Jesus. A deep desire to reach one more for Jesus. When we were very small in the strip mall, we always were trying to, I remember one time we had a leadership meeting at Bruce and Stacy's, and there's about 20 people there, about everybody in the church that showed up, they were a leader. We said, you're a leader, you're a leader, you're, you know, <laughs> how do small churches, you know? And we met in there, and we're trying to strategize, how can we, we, with this group of people, how can we make a difference? How can we be a lighthouse? How can we show the kingdom of God? And we came up with all kinds of ideas, and serving people, water to, you know, to the parades and different things, and it was great. But here's the main thing that really helped us in those early years. It was the church taking on the mantle of being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Ambassadors for Jesus. In other words, you took personal responsibility for evangelism. Now, it doesn't mean you're all out knocking on doors or trying to lead people to Christ, but you invested and you invited. You invested your life in the lives of people that didn't know Jesus, and you invited them to come to an activity or to church service where they would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It mattered. And people came to Christ. Over 50% of our, con- our growth in those early years was conversion growth. People that we weren't stealing from the Baptists or the Methodists, God forbid, they don't need us to steal from them. We were reaching people that didn't go to church that were not believers. And that's what made this church alive and real. This deep desire to reach people for Christ. See, the word ambassador is a very key word that Paul used And that means that you have been anointed as an ambassador for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to be an ambassador to your sphere of influence. The people that you know, the people that you love, the people that are in your circle. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Everything we did was to help people take one step closer to Jesus. So one one story, we, um, in 2008, uh, I came to the elders with a lame idea. Uh, they, at least they thought so at first. And here's, here's how I approached the idea. I said to the elders, I said, hey, let's do something different this Easter. And of course, they were all excited because Easter and Christmas Eve are the two times when more people come to Christ than any other time, right? At least in our church. And uh, so, okay, great, something great for you. I said, here's what we, I want to do this Easter. They said, what, what, what should we do? I said, let's close the doors of our church on Easter. How's that sound? Well, it didn't sound very good, you know. And, uh, well, the idea was this. Let's close the doors of this church and do Easter at Tumbleweed Park. We rented the pavilion, that big one. We set up a 1,000 chairs. We set up a stage. All this cost a lot of money and a lot of hours. The people that are in the kitchen are the same people that are helping back then. And, and it, it invested a lot. And I remember that morning um, praying, Father, this is not about our church. This is not about any. This is about the kingdom. We're trying to find ways to reach people that we could never reach that won't come to us, so we'll go to them. We had a, 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 an Easter egg hunt, Pastor Barb did. We had food for 2,000 people. We had 1,000 people that came to the service. And at, at the close of the service, dozens of people raised their hand to say yes to Jesus for the first time. We will do anything, whatever it costs, time, money, energy, whatever it takes, we'll do anything to reach one more for Jesus. Jesus said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but all men should come to repentance. That's the DNA of our church. I want to close with this uh, last story. So um, in the the years 1972 to 1974, um, I became the youth pastor 
of Mount McGill Covenant Church, which is now Grace Covenant Church, which is the church that our teenagers go help fix, right? It's, the church is broken down. It's in trouble. And our youth group here has gone there to help that church. Well, back when I was there, it was a very vital church, a great church and all that. And um, as a youth pastor, um, Sherry and I started there in 1972. We'd been married just two years. And, uh, and God did something that I'll never forget. 1972, remember that. These were hippies. <laughs> and these were kids that were unchurched. And half of them were high. And this was 1972, folks. This is, and we used to stuff 100 kids in the basement of the church for a Bible study every Wednesday night. And every Wednesday night, some t- teenagers were saying yes to Jesus. Kids that have never been to church in their life. It was incredible. The spirit of God was moving in a powerful way. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue how to, make the, how to wrestle this thing. To, I just, it just happened. And then one day, the elders had a brilliant idea. Let's make the kids come to Sunday evening church. Are you kidding me? Sunday evening church was the most boring hour of the year, of the day. How many remember Sunday evening serves? Okay, yeah. Aren't you glad it's over? Okay, yeah. So, it, it, I mean, a church of about 150, Sunday night, 30 people were there, all out of guilt. They were there, okay? They'd ra- much rather be home watching the wonderful world of Disney, but they were there, right? And so, and the elder said, let's boost up our Sunday night tennis. We'll have make the kids come to church. So I said, this is a bad idea, bad sermon, bad music. I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. I said, this is a bad idea. Okay, now I'm an employee. Do it. <laughs> so that first Sunday, we had like 75 high school kids that came to the Sunday evening service. No shoes, long hair, tattoos, broken clothes, you know, the whole thing. And yeah, some of them were high. And yes, some of them were noisy. And mostly none of them paid attention, but they were there. And after the service, uh, one of the deacons, who was a retired covenant pastor, a, a small, severe man, uh, Oscar, his name was. He's now with the Lord. I, I presume that anyway. <laughs> no, he, he, he is, he is. He. Oscar, Oscar, black suit, black tie, white shirt, wingtip shoes, the whole deal. And he comes up to me afterwards. He said, I don't want these kids here again. He said, well, Oscar, the elders have asked me to have the kids. They're disrespectful. They're not paying attention. They're not wearing the right clothes. I don't want these kids here again. I said, Oscar, Oscar, please. Every week, these kids are coming to Jesus. They're now just trying to find out what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. If they're told they can't be a follower of Jesus because they're not wearing shoes, what's gonna happen to them? That's just not right. He said, well, I don't like it. I said, I know that. Would you do me one favor? Would you just pray about it for one week? Just pray about it. He said, okay, I'll pray. How can a retired coming to pastor not say I'll pray about it? And so he said, okay, I'll pray about it. So a week passes, I told Sherry, I said, this is not gonna go well. So the kids come back to church. Yeah, they're there again. Some of them are high. None of them have shoes on. They're not paying attention. And in comes Oscar. And he walks up to me in his severe dark suit and his dark tie and his white shirt and no shoes on his little white wrinkled feet. I'm serious, standing before me. And I said to myself, this guy gets it. He gets it. All other, a lot of other people are thinking about other things. He said, okay, whatever it takes, I'll do it to reach one more for Jesus. Whatever it takes. That's always been the DNA of Hope Covenant Church. And may it ever be so. Okay, tag back to Doug. I took, I took up all the time.
takes Dwayne. We'll look back at the, the passage Dwayne started us with in Joshua 4. We'll put it up on screen, verse 6 and 7. We will use these stones of remembrance to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? They, they remind us. They remind us. These stones stand as a memorial among the people of Israel, the people of God forever. So these stones that Duane has talked about today, they remind us. We look at what God has done and what God has already spoken to us about loving other people, about helping people find and follow Jesus. And as we looked at that passage and thought about the stones, it reminded me of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. It says something very similar to the Joshua passage. It says, uh, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so you don't forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Don't forget, Moses is saying, don't forget. (laughs) Your eyes have seen these things in the past. Don't forget. Don't let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Don't let these stones of remembrance fade away because these were the things that rooted them. These were the things that grounded them, that shaped them and formed them and continued to form them in the future. See, it wasn't just what God spoke What they needed to remember was that God did speak. He did speak to them, and he did it over and over and over again. Yet yet what they also needed to remember was that God had moved among them over and over and over. And they needed to remember that, that, that the God who spoke to them in the desert at the mountain, that God still speaks, and the God who delivered them from Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea still delivers from the Egypts of our life. And, and the God who led us through the wilderness when we lost our way still leads us in the wilderness. And the God who fed us in the wilderness still feeds us. He fed us, he led us, and the God who did it still does it. Worship team, will you come? See, we need to keep remembering that that same God, when we look at these stones of remembrance, that same God that spoke to us still speaks. The same God who in 1986, in the living room of Horace and Marge Boydston, spoke and pulled a group of people together to become eventually this church. And and through all the daycare and elementary schools that we met in, and then in the strip mall space over by the Florendinos on Alma School... God spoke, led, still speaks in 2000. Some of you were here when when God spoke and led and directed for Pastor Duane and Sherry to come here to hope. God was moving and speaking and began to speak, it seems, even more and more to us about these stones that we were to be a place of grace, for a, to be a church where, that, that loves people right where they're at, To be honest enough to say that there are no perfect Christians, there are no perfect pastors, and we don't fake it around here, that the grace of God is big enough to cover all of our sin and shame and addictions. God spoke to us and still speaks to us about reaching unreached people, about being a church of hospitality and generosity and diversity and transparency, for caring for the poor, for being committed to missions, 
And for evangelism, God spoke and still speaks for us to reach just one more person for Jesus. It's why we exist. It's a huge part of our story. And it's why we are a grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus. So I'm so glad that today we could look back with grateful hearts. We remember all that God has done, and then we pause and stop and look at what God is doing right now because he's still speaking, he's still moving, and we look forward to what God will do because, friends, he isn't done yet. (laughs) He's not done yet. With that in mind, I want to reread that Deuteronomy passage. Only be careful, watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So friends, let's not forget. And let's live into the blessing that God has spoken over this church family and continues to speak over us to your family and your children and their children and their children Because these stones of remembrance, friends, are things that God has spoke among us, done among us, and he's still at work. Amen? Will you stand and sing with us?